Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to freely gather here and worship you. And Lord, we trust that your Holy Spirit desires to speak into our lives continually. And we pray, Lord, that we would have open hearts and minds and lives to receive what you have for us this day. May my words be yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is our last week in the series of Journeying Through Galatians as we come to the sixth chapter as a quick point of review. In chapter one, we looked at this one true gospel message, this one true gospel of grace. Then we journeyed to chapter two where we looked at the issue of faith versus works. As Paul talked to the Galatians in their challenging situation, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And then chapter three brought us to an important message about our identity, that we are to recognize that our identity is found in being a child of God, and that knowing our identity is essential. In chapter four, we furthered that conversation where we talked about our connection as adopted children to God as God's family, our connection to God's family and our connection to one another. Last week, I shared one of my favorite chapters in the scripture, and we looked at Galatians 5 as Paul again addressed these two groups. The, the one group who were saying, now that you know Jesus, you're free to do whatever you want. And of course, this other group that said, now that you know Jesus, here is the list of all the rules you must perfectly obey. And we looked at, instead of those ways, the third way that God gives us, which is life in the Spirit following and staying in tune with the Holy Spirit, seeking to trust God with all things of our lives. And now we come to chapter 6 where Paul softens a bit and concludes his message, a, a bit of a, a summary, and offers us some images of what this life in the Spirit might look like, what, looking, what it looks like perhaps to walk in trust of the Holy Spirit. And interestingly enough, in the first verse here, and you can see this in your insert if you'd like, that it talks about what to do with somebody in the church who is in sin. Remember at the end of chapter 5, Paul kind of listed all these sin issues and then talked about life in the Spirit. And Paul gives us kind of a, just a simple statement here, what to do with brothers and sisters who fall away, who fall into sin. It's a, it's a good connection to our Matthew 18 passage on sin and conflict. But here Paul is pretty emphatic that the goal for followers of Christ with one another when we have sin, when we fall into sin, is restoration. That our job is to help bring restoration to one another, to restore those of us who have failed or when we have failed, to bring this restoration. And restoration is always the prime priority for Jesus Christ when we struggle, when we fail, when we give in to those temptations of our sin. But it says here also, it goes a step further, it says to do so gently. You see, one of the challenges of being a follower of Christ and being the church is it's critical that we embrace the gospel message, this one truth, it's critical that we submit ourselves to God and to the scriptures. It's critical that we have honesty and transparency. It's critical that we have accountability. But this accountability is meant to come and be received with gentleness. That Jesus tells us to be as wide or as shrewd as the serpent and as gentle as the dove. 
And I'll be honest with you, you know, when I think about my own strengths and weaknesses and personality, and oftentimes when I'm asked whether in just a, whether in an interview setting or in conversation or as I get to know somebody, when they ask about my weaknesses, I often have to cite, you know, this gentleness issue. That that's one area in my life from the very beginning that I've had to continue to grow in especially for those I'm closest with and able to be most honest with. And so for me, I understand that maybe I haven't perfected this. I could blame it on being male or young. I prefer to blame it on my German heritage. I'm 75% German, 25% Swede, so that's 200% stubborn. <laughs> you know, I can blame it, you know, on that kind of expressive matter-of-fact German nature or just that that's always kind of been my personality but one of the things that we must understand in life in the spirit and I'll talk about this a bit more in this passage is that we are most certainly called to continue to grow we are called to continue to embrace some change in our lives to grow in those areas of weakness Jessica's family has two cottages on one of the Finger Lakes in upstate New York, and we have gone there from time to time in the summer, and I have many fond memories of the lake from high school as well. And, you know, one of the things that we do uh, with the kids, and we've done ourselves, is just down the way of the lake a little bit, from where their cottages are, there's a part of the land that sticks out to a point. And so it's a kind of rocky beach with, you know, slate and shale and, of course, you know, all sorts of other things. But one of the things that you find there frequently is what we call lake glass. Lake glass is pretty simple. What it is is when somebody throws or drops a bottle of some type, whether it be a, a beverage on the boat or some sort of container, they drop it in the lake or it falls in the lake and over time something happens. Of course the bottle breaks whether from hitting something or it was already broken or from the pressure and these finger lakes are spring fed and it's cold there and so there of course is freezing and ice and, and this glass kind of bashes against the sand and the rocks and all the things that are there in the lake and a lot of it eventually washes up on shore. These pieces of glass. They fade a little bit, they lose their labels but what's interesting about this lake glass, no matter how small or large it is, how jagged it appears, when you pick it up, it is almost always very smooth. The corners are smooth, the, the ends where it is broken are smooth. And, and this is what happens. You see, as, as the glass kind of pushes against these things and is exposed to the element, the rough edges become smooth. And so it's fun to collect and do things with and you can create art with and the kids are very amused by it and I like free entertainment. That's my favorite four-letter word. And so, you know, but I've realized that this lake glass is an image for our life in Christ, an image for my own weakness and gentleness, an image for life in the Spirit, that as we encounter one another, as we push against the challenges and the blessings of life, that God desires to take those parts of us that are broken, that are hurt, those weaknesses, those challenges, those sin areas in our lives, and smooth them out. And so this, this notion that we are to help one another in gentleness is really important. 
And he goes on in verse 2 and talks about this new law in Christ. That we've talked about the law and how the law and perfect obedience to the law cannot save us, cannot justify us, cannot make us right in God's eyes. But he talks about this new law in Christ, what it means to walk in the Spirit. Carry each other's burdens in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. That we're called to carry one another's burdens. I'm not sure we're always good at that for a variety of reasons. We, you know, and it's mostly about us. We feel guilty or we don't share those burdens or maybe we don't feel capable of carrying one another's burdens. But life in the spirit and the life of the church is about carrying each other's burdens. To carry another's burdens is a God-like quality. One of the challenges, I think, for the church, perhaps even more so for Lutherans and certainly for Germans or Scandinavians or anyone from that part of the world, it seems. It's the sharing of the burdens that's hard. It's the being honest with one another and sharing our struggles and our difficulties. Whether for fear of judgment, whether out of insecurity of not wanting people to know, other, maybe perhaps out of want, not wanting to obligate somebody else to our struggles. But this is the purpose, one of the purposes of the church, to carry one another's burdens that we need each other, that we need to do that. But you know, the reality is it's much easier to, hate, to hear someone else's burdens than it is to share your own. At least that's the case for me anyway. But we are called, we are called as people who walk in the Spirit to carry one another's burdens, to walk with one another. That not only because of our adoption as a child of God are we not alone, but we're not alone because we are part of God's family, a part of the church where we can share with one another. I often find that sometimes we as Christians uh, are very good at pretending. And so we come into church and we look as if we have it all together and we have the smile on our face, even if we're in the midst of great difficulties. And we sit down and we look around us and we see people that appear to have it much more together than we do. And then we go and we go back into our own lives, oftentimes feeling overwhelmed and alone. In fact, in my last church, I, I often discovered we had a large parking lot. And the parking lot was prophetic because it would often point to me as I looked out the window, perhaps who or which families were having a harder day than others. You see, those families that had perhaps finished their argument at home or over breakfast or finished their struggles to get their kids to wear clothing that was acceptable, it's kind of something we do in our house. Uh, my son's in shorts today. Uh, you know, they, they, those families that had gotten that out of their system before they left, why they parked close to the church doors. But those that were still finishing their fight into the car, perhaps still after getting out of the car, they would park farther out so that they could finish the argument before they got to the doors of the church. It was like science watching this. And that, I think, is a struggle for us. Not that we can bring all of our struggles and our baggage to every moment of our lives. But this ought to be a safe place. That we ought to be a people who walk in the Spirit and carry one another's burdens. 
And it goes on here. Verses 3 through 5 really talk about the issue of pride, the issue of arrogance. But it's also a passage on self-knowledge. That walking in the Spirit means aligning ourselves with God, with who God is, with what God is doing. Looking for God in every moment, every conversation, every relationship. Looking for every opportunity to do good and to carry one another's burdens. That walking in, our, walking in the Spirit is aligning ourselves not what, with what we want or what we think or what we believe, or even what the world thinks, whether it be those that say, do whatever you want, or those who say, perfect obedience. But rather, it's walking with the Spirit, aligning ourselves with the Spirit. This requires a lot of self-knowledge, a lot of self-knowledge, growth in self-knowledge, that the more we come to know God, the more we come to know ourselves, and the more we realize we don't understand about God. The more that we come to understand ourselves, the more we see our struggles and our sin, but the more also we see God and our need for God. But growth in Christ, walking in the Spirit on a daily basis, requires a growth in self-knowledge. This work is transformational. This work is life-giving. But it can be deeply painful and deeply challenging as we deal with those things in our lives, those weaknesses, those personality flaws, those hurts those deep sin issues that we often suppress or ignore or try to hide and manage. Paul talks also in this passage that we are not to measure ourselves against others. Again, he's talking to these folks that were struggling with, we want to follow Jesus, but now should we compare ourselves to, to these religious people or these, these people, these wild kind of party animal people? What, what should we do? And Paul says your comparison really should be to who you are to be in Christ. I once had a professional counselor I was in a conversation would say to me, you know, Marcus, comparison is the basis of all unhappiness. Comparison is the basis of all unhappiness. Now, I hate generalities. I think people as people were too complicated. I like to believe, I like to tell myself that I'm the exception to every rule in the universe. And so when people make generalities, I get really agitated. And so the ornery part of me, I don't know if you knew I had an ornery part, but there's an ornery part of me that then sets out to kind of disprove these generalities. Comparison is the basis of all unhappiness. That's too simple. That's ridiculous. Now, six years I've been at this, fervently. And if I'm honest, I've yet to really disprove this statement. Because if I look at unhappiness that I've seen in others, and specifically any moments of unhappiness in my life, if I'm really honest, it's all about comparison whether it's comparison to what I had hoped for, comparison to what I ex had expected, comparison to what I had wanted, comparison to what I believed was right or true, comparison to the world, comparison to this person, comparison to that, or perhaps, for me, the biggest one is comparison to my own standard, the standard that I have set for myself in my infinite <laughs> wisdom, that there's some truth to this statement, and comparing ourselves to others and to ideals is not going to point us to Jesus Christ. That we are to look to Christ and to walk in the Spirit and not to worry about the rest. Verses 7 through 10 here talk a little bit about this issue of life in the Spirit versus life in the flesh. We have two choices, folks. We can either choose to live by the flesh, whether it's fun or rules, or we can choose to live by the Spirit. That's it. One of those things will control us. It's a scale, of course. 
And there are areas in my life where the spirit controls quite well and where the flesh, there's other areas where the flesh becomes a little bit of a temptation. I think I've said several times, where I am most in the flesh is behind the wheel of a car. No Christianity in there for me. But there are those areas. This is the choice, the flesh or the spirit. That the flesh leads to destruction, but to the spirit leads to life. Whether that destruction is actual destruction or it's just anger or hatred or distraction, it might be many things. But really, it's, it's simple. Are we seeking to please God or men? Are we looking to God for direction? Are we looking to others for direction? Which voice do we listen to? Which voice counts? Which voice matters? And so I've got to ask myself, where are, am I listening to the wrong voices? But if we walk in the Spirit, eventually God will honor that. That the reality of the Christian life, even though it's not about the law, even though it's not about our actions, our actions matter. We do reap what we sow. Out of the heart flows everything that we say and do. You see, change must come from the inside out. Paul talks about this in verses 11 through 16. He deals with this issue of circumcision again. Again, not a popular, popular contemporary church issue, but for these Galatians, what was happening was they followed Jesus and these Jewish folks over here, these Judaizers, are saying, well, you got to do this now. And they're, they're tempted to do it. And Paul's not so upset about the issue itself. He's like, listen, you don't have to do this to please God. You don't have to jump through these hoops anymore. But if I'm honest with you folks, he says, you're, this is really not about pleasing God. This is about you pleasing others. This is about you being able to fly under the radar. This is about you not facing persecution for being different as followers of Christ. And that's what happens in life in the Spirit. We face persecution for being different. And we don't always see fruit, and certainly not instantly. And we like instant around here. One thing that God and I disagree with frequently is timing. We are not on the same time frame. Again, it's that patience thing I've talked about a couple times. But if we walk in the Spirit, if we seek to listen to what the Spirit is doing, then over time, when the right time comes, God will bring us exactly what we need, exactly what we desire. God will bring the harvest in our own lives. And see, just like it boils down to whether we choose to live in the flesh or live in the spirit, it also boils down to very simply this. This is perhaps one of the core messages of this letter to the Galatians, that we have two choices as people of God, that we have two choices as the church, fear or trust. That fear is to live in the way of the flesh, that fear is to say that we must control and manage all things and that we can't trust God. We live in a fear-based culture, in the church and in the world. And then there's the way of trust. I think trusting is much harder than fearing. It's much less natural. We have to let go in order to trust. But life in the Spirit is found in trusting. And for me, it's not about my strengths, weaknesses, personality, nationality, whether or not my son is wearing shorts when it's 10 degrees outside. <laughs> it's about this issue of fear versus trust. 
And where do I live in fear? What areas of my life if I'm, am I choosing fear in the flesh over trust in the spirit? What experiences, what moments, what triggers in my life put me in this place of fear instead of this place of trust? You see, because as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to trust the Holy Spirit, to love and to serve one another with great hope, to carry each other's burdens, trusting that God will give us all that we ever need to do and be all that we were created to be. So which is it? Which path will you choose? Fear or trust? Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word, for this journey through Galatians, for this call to seek to trust your spirit. God, help us to be a people who do good in all things, seeking to carry one another's burdens. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.